0: Okay. um. (laughs) I assume that if you're here, you know that this is where we're going to be here from now on. The problem is the people not here, but I think most people are. Um, Um, There's supposed to be an easy way to lobby the Paradise Mail. An idiot. What do you... Thank you. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. What? Of course it is, though. Yeah. I remember you this. Or can't you do apps or something, please? Yeah. Actually, wait a second. I've heard this too <coughs> You don't have to see all my subject tags, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't have to mute the screen? Touch me Okay, screen, image mute. I'm yes! Good. Not that the subject headings will tell you that, but they tell you enough. Okay, so I think what, um, did everyone get a chance to see um, Out of the Past now? Anyone not? Um, okay, well, it's, you can see it on Latte. Are you registered? Okay, so when you're registered, you can see it on Latte. Um, you can also uh, pay money to see it through Apple or through um, Amazon. Um, you can buy it, you should. It's a great movie. Isn't it a great movie? Louder? Have you ever seen so great a movie? No, no, never. Okay. Um, It's a totally great movie. Uh, I think what we're going to do, we're not going to do this um, often in this class, um, but I think we are going to try to do it as a a way of starting up and bringing up a lot of the issues we're talking about, is that we're actually going to go through all of Out of the Past today and um, on Tuesday um, and talk about it scene by scene. Um, in various different ways, um, talking about various different issues that um, will prepare for what we'll be talking about during the course of the course. So one of the things that we'll be talking about today, I I do want to show you another um, um, clip from Markley. This is from The Clock, which I mentioned last time, and which is, um, as uh, you know or you will see very quickly um, if you weren't here last time, Um, What Markley did was a 24-hour movie. Um, Eventually, supposedly, it's going to come out on a series of DVDs. At least that's the rumor. Um, But now you can only see bootlegged versions um, where people have brought their iPhones into into museums where the clock is on display. Um, But it's a 24-hour-long movie um, set, done by, done through... Um, the setting up of film clips um, in which you see what time it is. And what Markley did um, over the course of several years um, was found um, thousands of clips with um, references to the time that it is as the scene is unfolding, um, so that every few, no more than 30 seconds, I don't think, you never have to wait more than about 30 seconds um to see something that tells you what time it is in the scene um, and Markley has it um, uh, that scene come up when it actually is that time in reality. Um, if you know the TV show 24 and who doesn't um, 24 is also 24 hours it um, kind of takes place in real time that is if you're watching 24 um, you're watching it. Um, Uh, You're watching all the events occur in real time. If you ever time them, it turns out they're not. Um, That is, the 24 sometimes accelerates the time. It cheats. Um, And that kind of cheating with respect to time, compressing or expanding time, um, that kind of cheating with respect to time is something lots of movies do. If you pay attention to clocks in movies, um, um, if you've seen um, Fight Club, Anyone ever time those last few minutes of Fight Club? Um, They're not as long as Ed Norton says they are. Um, And if you do time them, um, don't boil an egg to the last few minutes of Fight Club because you won't get good results. Um, So um, movies do tend to cheat with respect to time because our experience of time on screen and our experience of time in reality is actually different That's one of the philosophical issues that um, comes up here. There's a Godard movie um, where one of the characters says, I wonder what a minute of silence would be like. And it's just, it's a very noisy um, Godard movie um, where there's all sorts of noise everywhere. Um, And a character says, I wonder what a minute of silence would be like, and suddenly the um, soundtrack goes completely silent and the characters just wait. And after what feels like a minute, Um, the soundtrack kicks in again. Um, And now they know what a a minute of silence is like and how long it is. But Godard actually didn't have the, even Godard, who is fearless, um, wasn't quite fearless enough to give us a full minute. Um, If you time that, it's actually about 40 seconds. Um, But boy, does it feel like a minute or more than a minute of silence. Um, so it's a general rule you'll find, not a rule that are, that's in the cinema handbooks, um, but a general rule that time on screen um, is dilated. That is to say, um, uh, you will go through, um, a continuous scene will go through more time. I guess it's real time is dilated. Time on screen is compressed. A continuous scene will go through time faster um, than um, the amount of time we're watching. a minute, what's supposed to be a minute on screen will only be sometimes only 20 or 30 seconds in real life. Um, that must have been something that Markley had to cope with because as you'll see some of the scenes will have a clock um, showing you know 10:14 or something and then the same clock showing 1016. But in reality, in the movie that he's yanked it from, um, that he swiped it from, um, a full two minutes won't have passed. Um, What he will then do is um, he'll interpose a scene from another movie with another clock in it, um, and in fact, um, the timing from the original movie and the timing in his version of the movie will be different. I bring this up because um, there are a bunch of things that the experience of watching the clock Um, gives you that will um, raise issues we'll be talking about throughout Um, one of those experiences and the experience that um, I'll want us to be thinking about as we go through um, out of the past um, which is also about time um, among other things uh, one of the experiences um, or one of the issues that we'll be talking about um, is the very deep issue of continuity. So continuity is, um, of course, something that filmmakers in general work really hard to get. Um, there's a style of editing called continuity editing. That's the standard style of editing, is what's called continuity editing. Can someone define it? Is that a term people know? define? Um, well, I don't know the exact name, name but, uh, exact, that, sorry. Um, I don't know the, the exact definition, but... It sounds like it's just editing so that it flows together in a way that makes sense naturally in the way that normal conversation flows together see. So, yeah, so one of the things that, here's, here's the most minor version of continuity. Um, or if you, look at, if you look at flubs, if you look up flubs on IMDb.com, flubs are usually flubs in continuity. So the most, um, if you look at the credits of a movie, you will sometimes see a credit which will simply say Continuity will be the credit given to a name. Um, And what continuity is about in um, credit sequences like that is that if there's a half glass of water on a table, that is someone takes a drink of water and puts it down, and then the really intense scene, you know, someone says, well, did you kill her? No, I didn't. Um, And puts down the half glass of water or the two-thirds glass of water, part of the acting is they drink the water. Um, full glass of water, they drink some, they put it down. Then they reshoot the scene, um, and um, they get the shot that they like. The glass of water goes down. Now they're going to shoot the next scene where the person says, well, perhaps this will refresh your memory and holds up the dead frog. And um, the um, person fumbles for the water again, And um, because many of these scenes will be shot several times and because you can't always drink the same amount of of water in each scene, um, and because they'll be shot um, several times, there is a person who's responsible for watching the glass of water and making sure that in each scene, it's the the, um, surface, the level of the water is at the same place. So if the actress drinks too much water, Um, and puts it down, water is added for the next shot, too little water, water is poured out. Um, And that is just so that people don't suddenly see, notice peripherally, so that audience members don't notice peripherally um, a sudden change in um, something that should be part of the stable background. So continuity is um, something that movie makers have to ensure in order to give you a stable background against which the foreground the plot the story the characters the interactions against which that in, against which the things in the foreground are playing out um, there are all sorts of versions of this background um, mainly they have to do with establishing the place that is that Aristotelian idea of place, unity of place is what Aristotle calls it, the place where a scene is unfolding um, so if you don't have continuity, um, you don't feel like you're quite in a stable place the place starts feeling jittery um, the standard um, and most important part of continuity editing is to try to establish a background against which we see the characters and that background Elements of that background will stay in the background even as we get shots from different camera angles Um, So there's something called does anyone know the term the 180 degree line? Is your hand up? What's your name? Can you define it? Uh, That's actually a different rule Um, and and an interesting one as well Um, Usually, not always, but usually, when there's a cut in a single scene, that is, you're, you know, watching people talking, I've always hated you. Well, I've always loved you. Yes, but you didn't really "Really." love me. And you watch them having their little conflict, which every scene should have. Um, We'll cut back and forth, often in two shots. That is, um, we'll see both of them. But as one person is talking, the angle will be on her, then as the other person spits out his response, the angle will be on him. If those angles are not at least 30 degrees different, audiences will tend to be disoriented. We need a cut has to be um, a big enough cut that we don't feel that we've just seen something like a very slight um, epileptic blackout in ourselves. Um, That is, um, there has to be this um, moment where things are sufficiently different that we know, oh yeah, we're just looking at a totally different angle. Um, and that's called the 30 degree rule. The camera angles, um, when you cut in a single scene from one um, angle to another, um, you want the angle to be at least 30 degrees. If it's not 30 degrees, it actually, we in the audience notice it, it looks like an editing mistake. It's sometimes what's called the jump cut. Um, And a jump cut is a cut where it looks like the scene actually isn't supposed to have a cut in it. Um, It's supposed to look continuous, but they didn't set up the cameras right, and so it's jarring. And we realize that it's not continuous. Any break in our sense of continuity is a break in our sense of the world that we're watching. The 180-degree line is a different rule about continuity editing. And the basic idea is that, and once you know it, you'll see it um, all the time, is that when you establish that you have um, a place of some sort, um, that you have usually um, a couple of people talking to each other, maybe more than two, um, the camera setups can only be in a semicircle, not in a full circle around the characters in a scene. So... The reason for this is, let's say, we're shooting in this room, and there's some people, Matt and I are here, and we're having um, a really intense discussion about who's going to win the next World Chess Championship, um, and the movie audience in the theater is watching really carefully, and you know they're really um, anxious about who's going to say the more interesting thing about the next um, Chess Champion. Um, and the camera goes back and forth, but what the audience will see, not notice they see, but see, is they'll see the blackboard, they'll see the lectern, they'll see that lectern, and the background will be just that, a background against which the foreground is playing out. If instead you saw um, shot on me telling Matt that I think the Queen's Indian should be should be restored as an opening, and then a shot on Matt saying, you know, the Roy Lopez is always the way to go, and it goes back and forth. And then some fancy ass director decides to take a shot from over here. Suddenly the background is you guys. And that wall and the exit sign, and no one in the movie theater is going to be sure that we're in the same room, because it'll be a radically different background. They won't see any continuity from one background to another. So it's part of what filmmakers do, part of what they learned about human perception, part then of what they learned about how humans, how we human perceivers perceive ourselves as being in a world that there has to be some continuity in space, um, even when we're looking at different angles, for us to feel um, that we know where we are. So feeling that we know where we are requires a continuity um, in background, and the 180-degree line assures that, that all camera angles in a scene, unless you can reshuffle the deck, which we'll talk about ways of doing that later on, um, unless you can reshuffle the deck, all camera angles are going to be um, set up within a semicircle and not cross the diameter um, of the circle that that semicircle is part of and that ensures that there's going to be continuity from shot to shot in the background different angles but on the same background um, and so that's a really really important part of continuity editing um, in philosophy It's the question of continuity is one that has come up from really the start of Western (coughs) philosophy. Um, There's also the question of continuity of time, rather than continuity of space. And um, those of you who've read Locke will know that for Locke, a sense of continuity in time is where we get the idea of personal identity, that is the idea that I am, to quote William James, the great philosopher and psychologist William James, I am the same I that I was yesterday. Um, What is it that makes me the same person that I was yesterday? Well, memory is what does it. I remember seeing, having first-person experience yesterday even as I remember having first-person experience today and I feel that um, I have experienced, I have had first-person experience of time itself passing. So even though I'm no longer my three-year-old self, even though you're no longer your three-year-old selves, um, you feel that that three-year-old was you, that you are still essentially that three-year-old person now um, turned into you know, a 35-year-old person like me, a 23-year-old person like you, whatever you are. Um, But that there's continuity over time of selfhood. And if you completely lost that, Lucretius said this in Roman times as well, if you lost that sense of continuity, if you didn't feel that there was continuous time, even even if you forget things, even if there are gaps in your memory, um... You feel that there are gaps in your memory, not gaps in time. And if you didn't feel there were continuous time between your past self and your present self, if you didn't think that time was continuous, you wouldn't think that you and your past self were the same person. Um, Even if you had a first person memory of your past self, you nevertheless wouldn't feel committed to that past self as still being you. So our, so continuity, which is essential to filmmaking, is also a very deep and wide, uh, widespread philosophical um, issue in our sense of what we are and what the world is. I'm saying this very quickly, um, and it's something that we'll be pausing on and pausing to think about a lot in the course of the course. Don't think, OK, so now we know what continuity is. Um, Because I want us to pay attention to it, Um, the basic thing that I want to say, though, why we're (coughs) one reason that we're going into this through movies is to say that what movie makers have to do, what all artists have to do, but in a sense, movie makers perhaps more than anyone else, is they have to figure out how to give you a world and all the practical things that they've worked out without ever thinking that they were doing philosophy, all the highly practical discoveries they made about what works and what doesn't work in movie making, all those extremely practical things are discoveries, some of them brand new discoveries, some of them rediscoveries, some of them challenges to old Um, claims made by philosophers. Um, Movie making, in a sense, you could say is practical philosophy, and it's so practical that it doesn't mean to be philosophy, um, but you can learn a lot of philosophy by thinking about what the practical issues that movie makers have to deal with are. Um, And that's sort of what we're doing in the course. So, okay, what I'm going to show you now is... um, uh, maybe 10 minutes from Markley, bootlegged, um, and you'll see partly that it's bootlegged by the fact that the camera isn't held at, um, that is, whoever's iPhone it is, isn't holding it, um, doesn't have a seat at the very center, so we're seeing it at a slight angle, um, and there's a question which is why, and just let this be a question for you, but it's an interesting one. Why is it that if you go to a movie, and you get a crappy seat, like there. Um, So you're seeing it from an angle, or you're sitting too far to the front, so you're looking up, you know, craning up to look at Christian Bale, um, uh, just looking weird in whatever way. He's chosen to look weird in that movie. Um, You quickly get used to that. Even though you're looking at a flat screen from an angle that it's not not supposed to be looked at, you're not looking at um, the... uh, Perfect angle, what's sometimes called the point assigned by perspective, um, that is uh, the point as far away from the screen as the vanishing point is in front of you, even though you can be looking at a picture from a very strange angle, we quickly forget that we're looking from a weird angle, and we quickly normalize it. But if you take a photograph from a strange angle, it's really, really hard to normalize. The angle here isn't so bad that um, it's not worth watching. It's very much worth watching, but it's also interesting that we can't quite normalize it even though if we were sitting where the person with the iPhone um, was sitting when they shot this part of the clock, um, it would have been no problem, whatever. Um, So anyhow, just watch time unfolding, um, and this is uh, simultaneously continuity and discontinuity (coughs) of time. Um, So I think it starts at 10.15. Do we have volume? You should be able to hear also, but you can't. Okay. Touch. yeah I mean I think it's like on mute, right? Mm -hmm. So image. you no. Else, way, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, right now it's kind of sliding. Like, no. Like, okay, no, no, actually, <laughs> Okay, why don't you watch it silently? They're going to send someone out, but it's at least it's not as worth it because the sound is part of the ambidious in the telephone. Um, but still, see, we should be hearing this. You want to know? We the same Yeah. Rift tracks. So that's five five minutes into it, now it's ten twenty. you can see how this is shot from below the left and occasionally you'll see shadows from other audience members and people walking through 10:23. Do they always say what time it is, or is it just sometimes just visual? Um, no, no, no. It's it's usually just visual. Okay, it's very rare that they'll actually say. I mean, sometimes they'll say, oh, 10:25." Okay. Um, But generally, it's just. That's what I thought. You meant. Yeah, and it's because we're um, looking at the world, and we're looking at what they're looking, and they're worried about the time. Often, they're not always worried about the time. I mean, part of. Um, I think that's whatever happened to Baby Jane. Um, part of um, the question of continuity that comes up here is um, the question of continuity, you could almost say, of anxiety. That is, if you're paying attention to time passing um, in a movie or in real life, if you're paying attention to time passing, it's because you're late, because someone else is late because you're worried, because you're waiting for something, or because you're bored. Um, There are lots of reasons to be watching The Clock, Um, not the movie The Clock, just any clock. Um, There are a lot of reasons to be watching The Clock. Um, And what Markley does is, just by picking the shots that he picks, frequently what you'll feel is that there's a kind of continuity of emotion um, the, and that was the same thing that was going on in, um, in telephones. That is that you have people, you know, anxious to make a call. Will the other person pick up? Will I, wh- What will they say to me? The phone rings. Oh, no. What will they say to me? Yeah. Um, and here, it's the very idea that time is passing is, uh, is restricting the number of emotions that there might be some reason to care that time is passing um, it restricts the number of emotions that are appropriate to caring that time is passing. And so there's a strange way that you get continuity from emotion to emotion among all these different movies as well. People worried about time passing. Now obviously Markley is also doing um, something called, uh, or at least alluding to what's called graphic matches. That is we saw um, the woman in the bathtub a little while ago now we see this guy in the bathtub Um, and um, so some of the scenes are similar Um, a question that you can ask yourself about him is is he picking similar scenes um, of all the 10 25 scenes he could have picked that did he pick up did he pick bathtub scenes because of that continuity Or is it that 1025 tends to be when people take baths in movies? Um, Well, it would depend. If it's evening, it's a time when um, an innocent victim would want to go to bed, um, but a murderer would be out looking to murder them. Um, And so so there is a sense where what you might learn from asking that sort of question from looking at these sorts of scenes is that our culture um, has certain views about what happens at various times. But it's not as obvious as eating lunch. No, right. It's, uh, yeah, it's not like eating lunch, which will always be you know roughly at the same time. If someone's eating lunch, it's not going to be 3 a.m. Um, but it might be that there are, that murders tend to take place um, in the at night, um, for example. Um, that detectives tend to be woken up in mid-morning. If they're the kind of detective we like, um, that uh, parties tend to end um, if if the people at the parties are, are really dissolute. The parties end at two a.m. Um, um, happy, healthy, and wise people tend to go to bed before eleven. Um, so there is a sense that Markley is really capitalizing on that are that that. Our kind of abstract sense of what a day is um, has to do with the kinds of things that a movie will best um, show at certain kinds at certain times of day. Um, there goes the water. So now it's a little bit later. Okay, um, I think what I'm going to do. We'll go. I think I'm going to stop this now, so we can because uh, this is much better with sound. Um, And we'll pick it up at 11.20 when we get the sound working. Um, Let's go to Out of the Past and hope the sound works for that. If not, well, uh, then I'll tell you what I'm thinking of for a possible uh, project for this class um, as a paper topic um, slash or a paper slash um, iMovie thing you can do. So is that, yeah, so that's Out of the Past? Yeah, there's no sound there either, right? Are you sure the instrument's right? It says DBI6. So Wait. If you know what you're talking about, come on up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if you don't know what you're talking about, if you can take it, come on up. Where's the input? All that time I spent learning to work the controls and all in saying 112, only to have to move here. Oh, Yeah. yeah, which is this. Yeah, oh, which okay. Well, now we want to, If we're not going to get sound here, oh, let's hope okay. we're getting sound. Okay, so I the You know, it's <laughs> Well, they're supposedly coming. Okay. Um, so might you know. might know what you're doing. Give it a shot. All right. This usually happens at around 4:12. Just so you know. <laughs> um, so if you ever make a movie about this, you should set this scene yeah, a little bit after four. So. Um,
1: Hello.
0: Hi. I think we're. Oh yes. Someone actually was actually No, we didn't. Okay, so, this is the YouTube I was trying to show. I, but there's also a DVD I want to show, and it doesn't seem like we're giving this out tomorrow. Okay. All right. Well, here's what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Because they're showing mostly analog clocks. Yes. And I guess it's possible that somebody could be taking that. That 10:25 a.m. will get up kind of late. Yeah. So, I think it's possible, Um, I think it's also the case that uh, I've seen a lot of the clock um, when it was at the MFA and it was in New York, so I've actually seen a lot of it, Um, but very few people see the um, 6pm to 9am section of it, so there's about 13 hours of the clock, you know, that probably only, um, that that have been seen at at something like only 1 out of 10 people for every 10 people who have seen a midday part of the clock, only one person has seen uh, a late night part of the clock. Um, they did show it at the MFA. There were a couple of days where they kept it open 24 hours, but so what? I was home taking a bath at 10.25. Um, and um, so, so I didn't see it. So I don't know that he doesn't cheat, but I've never heard that he cheated, and I would imagine that he makes it a point of honor not to because if you're gonna like, spend years doing this when you're a because this made him famous, but it might not have, but he still put all his time into it. Um, cheating feels like, why would you do it? It's like cheating in solitary. Um, so I don't know that he, that he doesn't cheat, but I would bet that he doesn't. Um, but it could be that he did at some point decide, oh no, there's just no scenes shot at 1.11 a.m., maybe because people don't like 1, 1, 1, or something, and I'm going crazy, and all right, just this once, I'm gonna get a 1.11 p.m. Um, and put it in here, because no one will notice, because no one will see the part in um, So I don't know that he doesn't do that, but I also think that the kinds of people who um, want to show that they're as smart, that they would've done the clock, too, um, if they hadn't had better things to do with their lives, are the kind of people who are gonna say, oh, no, that's cheating this isn't any good at all. So I think he would be making himself extremely vulnerable um, to ridiculous criticism if he didn't cheat. Um, So my guess is that he doesn't cheat, but I don't know. Um, It is an interesting question, though. Um, There's also a more subtle um, question, and I think this comes up, actually, out of the past, which is, uh, are there movies where you don't know what time it is, whether it's one eleven a.m. or one eleven p.m. Um, that would obviously be true of something like um, uh, what is that? It? it was originally, I think, a Norwegian movie that was then remade in the U.S. Uh, the the right. No, 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 no. The, it was. a no. movie? Let in. that's the right one? no no it's a it's a noir but it's during um, the summer in scandinavia so it's light all the time and the detective is one of these you know typical noir detectives that is say, depressed and broken um but nevertheless trying to do the right thing and is oh insomnia that's all i needed to remember was that he was an insomnia so the two has anyone seen insomnia you seen it um, so in insomnia it's light all the time um, and because it's light all the time uh, we frequently don't know whether it's 3am or 3pm in insomnia the same is true in the movie that we're going to see but for different reasons Dark City, has anyone seen it? so in Dark City it's night all the time um, and what that means in Dark City unlike in insomnia, in Dark City it's night all the time which means that If the clock says 3.12, it's always 3.12 a.m. in Dark City. Um, It's not ambiguous. It's always 3.12 a.m. And 12 hours later, it's 3.12 a.m. Because there's no daytime in Dark City. But in insomnia, there's no nighttime, not because there's been some breaking of the metaphysical rules, which is what happens in Dark City, There's no nighttime in insomnia because of the angle of the earth and because of the fact that it's summer in the extreme north. Um, And there, there's genuine confusion. And the result of that confusion, it doesn't happen in insomnia, but the result of that confusion can be that um, a film can lose track of whether a scene is occurring um, in the PM or the AM. And if the film loses track of that, um, losing track of that can mean that um, the filmmaker is actually not clear what the clock is saying, um, where it is on a 24 hour clock. Um, something like this happens in um, what we should be looking at right now, namely out of the past. Um, something like this happens in the press, I'll just tell you, um, which is uh, in the uh, scary moment when Witt and um, Stefano um, show up in Acapulco. They knock on the door, and Robert Mitchum, that is um, uh, Jeff Markham, Jeff Bailey, is whistling, and he's happy because he's about to go off with Kathy with Jimmy Greer. He's knocking on the door, and he opens it, and he stops whistling. End of continuity on on the whistle, for sure, Um, because who should be there but Witt? Uh, and he's freaked out. It's uh, He's just packing to leave. And there's Whit. Um, and the question now is, will Kathy show up and uh, bust them all or not? And there's the door will knock again and so on. He gets his shoes. Remember, they've been shined overnight. So that's clearly an early morning scene. They're getting ready to leave. It's the morning. They're getting ready to leave. Um, then, however, he really wants to get... Whit and De Stefanos out of his room because that's where Kathy is coming. And so he suggests they go have a drink, which they decide they're going to do. So they go have a drink down in the bar of the hotel, and they're not having Sunday morning mimosas. It suddenly becomes a late afternoon men having drinks scene. Um, not very late afternoon, but, you know, three in the afternoon and men are having drinks. Um, these are not 8 a.m. drinks that they're having. They're 3 p.m. at a Um, Very few people notice that, but that's a discontinuity in time. Um, partly you don't notice it because you're not really positive what time it is, and you're not really positive that they're not having drinks at um, 8 in the morning. Um, you, it's, it's not, you know, there's, they're, they're not what's called hanging a sign on it. Um, But what happens is we go from one generic scene, a person packing to leave early in the morning, to another generic scene, men who are in some kind of tension or conflict or subterranean conflict with each other, having a drink and talking about it and deciding what to do. Um, And from then on in that scene, um, it's afternoon turning into um, evening. But, well, the whole, the whole that whole time period ends shortly afterwards. But it's afternoon turning into evening. Generally, out of the past is very careful about time of day that things are occurring. Um, it matters at the start that um, Jeff and Anne are driving all night to Tahoe, and they arrive. Um, in the morning and it's bright and beautiful and um, that, that time difference that they leave, that Jeff picks her up um, and then they drive and they drive all night and the voiceover ends and it's morning. So the story we've just heard has taken all night to tell. The drive has taken all night. Now it's morning and, of course, wit is fresh as a daisy. Um, because he's always fresh as a daisy, but certainly in the morning he's fresh as a daisy and he has this incredibly beautiful view and it's all wonderful, and Jeff is exhausted. He's been driving all night. So there it matters that it's the morning. It matters later in San Francisco um, that the party is taking place at night and that it's getting later and later at night. So generally out of the past um, tends to be very careful about the mood that's associated with different times of day. Um, And that's another way of saying that maybe it's um, no surprise or maybe you're learning something just about the expectations that movie makers know we will have about what will happen at certain times, about the kinds of scenes, that there's a kind of circadian rhythm um, of event in someone's life and the kind of scenes that occur. You know, again, think of Psycho and think of taking a shower um, in the middle of the day. Of course bad things are going to happen to you. If you do that, that's not the right time to take a shower. She takes in the middle of the day because um, she's, uh, well, I don't want to give too much away, but she's running away. She's embezzling And she's gotten away, and now she checks into a, um, a hotel room and it's the middle of the day, not a normal time to take a shower. Um, again, you know, you could say, you could notice that in commercials, um, if someone's taking a shower or brushing their teeth, that's all a commercial has to show you to tell you what time of day it is um, and whether they're about to face their day. um, going to have a long day, but thank goodness they're using dial and they'll be refreshed for this long day, or it's been a really hard day, but they're finally home, and they're brushing their teeth and going to bed. Um, but you can establish time of day through various um, actions and activities, um, and that is something movie makers do, and that has to do with um, continuity of time. So I'm glad it wasn't just me. No, um, I, have a, I have another person coming down here to see what's going on. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. Um, all right. Well, um, well. so let's talk about the reading for a while and its relation to out of the past. I hope what you've read um, for today, what you should have read for today, and what um, I hope you have, it, are the two short pieces by Zimmel and by Warshow, um, The Gangster's Tragic Hero by Warshow, and um, uh, The Stranger by Zimmel. And um, let me just ask you... Uh, how are those... Wh- what's the overlap between those two essays? Um, in what ways are they thinking about similar things? Yeah. is the gangster... Yeah, so the gangster is a kind of stranger. And in what, what makes him... In other words, what... Um, well, do people remember what characterizes the gangster for a war show? Yeah. The man that represents anything that's wrong with society in the way we want to see him? Yeah, okay, so he represents everything that's wrong with society, and yet we want to see him succeed, yeah. He also has to be like, alone, even though it's not safe, or to be alone, and the stranger is always not technically kind of relevant, right? right. Okay, so the gangster is the reason he's a tragic hero is that it's his nature, it what makes him what he is, and for War Show it's always him, it's always him. Um, what makes him what he is, is um, that success means distinguishing yourself from the crowd, not being like everyone else, distinguishing yourself from the crowd, um, becoming a person of power, becoming unique, becoming different, um, but that um, difference, that uniqueness, is also why the gangster um, will die, so that at the very beginning, of um, Scarface, I think it is. Um, As soon as we see the gangster alone, we know he's in trouble, um, and he is, and um, that the gangster being alone is both his ambition and his downfall, but that loneliness, that difference from everyone else makes him like what Zimmel is saying about the stranger. Um, How else are they similar? And remember, the, we, I mentioned this on Tuesday, so you now read the parentheses about um, the businessman. That um, what uh, Do you remember the parentheses about the businessman? That um, talking on the phone and holding meetings um, means what in a movie? You're nodding. It means you're successful and important. Yeah, so you're successful and important. It's a sign that you're successful and important, that you're always on the phone and holding meanings, meetings. Meetings. But it's also um, what success and importance mean in um, movies. That is that um, it's not only a sign, but it's how do I get to be, you know, if I could only be successful and important, I would be on the phone all the time and holding meetings. Um, and in movies, those two things go together. How is that like the gangster? That's, a, that's an interesting um, comparison that Warshow makes between the businessman and the gangster—it's not a—it's not a Occupy Wall Street comparison that he's making. Um, this is something he said sixty years ago. Um, but how? Um, what is the equivalent for the gangster to the businessman on the phone and holding meetings? Yeah, kind of have to be a stranger. To- Okay, so you have to be a stranger to become a stranger. Um, for, um, and for the gangster, being a stranger means, in some sense, um, what he calls pure criminality. That is, that what he wants us to recognize um, about the gangster, I mean, I hope you guys felt what an amazingly brilliant essay that is. Um, just in, like, four or five pages, what Warshow is able to say in those four or five pages of and how wonderfully he says it um, is really, really something. Um, but what he's um, saying is, that, is something like this that in real life, where, as he says, there are criminals, not gangsters, um, the real life, the real world is full of criminals. And what do criminals want? Well, they want money. And what do they want to do with that money? Well, The Godfather Three, you know, and Coppola actually uh, knew Warsha's work, knows Warsha's work. Um, the Godfather Three shows you what they want with that money. To some extent, The Sopranos shows you what they want with that money. They want to buy a better life in which they can leave, live comfortably and not be afraid of the police. Um, that is that money becomes a ladder to a normal life or an affluent life and a life in which they can then do other things besides being criminals. The goal of real criminals in general Um, would be to get enough money that they don't have to be criminals anymore. Um, That is um, almost certainly, um, on one level or another, whether a trivial or a major level, that's almost certainly um, what people who commit criminal acts um, want to do. But for the gangster, um, it's not that They have figured out a way, you know, it's not like a caper movie. It's not that they figured out a way that they're going to be rich and then um, become prosperous, law-abiding citizens. It's that what they do is they preserve themselves as gangsters. They live in the city. They have what Warshaw calls the city's um, ambiguous and strange talents. And what success means is um being a gangster so to be a gangster means that you use your powers and talents and skills to continue to be the kind of person who has those powers and those talents and those skills Um, so that as warshow puts it for the gangster um Both the means and the end, the means and the end are the same thing. Um, You're a gangster in order to be a gangster. And that's what makes you like the stranger. You're not someone who's trying to enter the group. Um, Zimmel has this great sentence, which I'm going to simplify slightly because it's the first way I heard it Um, and and was what caused me to, to read the essay. It's not quite the way Zimmel puts it. Um, but the Twitter version of it would be, the wanderer comes today and goes... Sorry, no, that is how Zimmel puts it. The way I heard it originally is, the wanderer comes and goes, the stranger comes and stays. Um, That's the difference between them. The wanderer comes and goes, the stranger comes and stays. Um, Zimmel puts it slightly more um, wordily, The wanderer is he who comes today and goes tomorrow. The stranger is he who comes today and stays tomorrow. Um, But the word stays in that formulation is stays also a stranger. That is, there are people who enter the community. They come and stay. But when they come and stay... um, they get transformed. They become part of the community. They are no longer strangers. They become part of, you know, you're all a family. But the stranger is there always and yet always the stranger. Stays as the stranger. Um, Continues. Stays a stranger. Comes, doesn't leave, but stays a stranger. That's what Zimmel is. That's the characteristic that Zimmel is identifying Um, and doing it in an extraordinary way as both a sociological formation and as something that happens in erotic life, Um, something that happens when you fall in love with someone and then you start falling out of love with them. Um, He sees this concept of the stranger working under those conditions as well. Um, I think these are all things that you can see Um, in out of the past. But the idea of the stranger then, um, like the idea of the gangster, is here's a person who comes and doesn't belong to some other community, but also doesn't belong to our community. Um, Is in our community, again, Zimmel has that great sentence, that the inhabitants of Sirius are not strangers to us. Um, the stranger belongs to our conception of the world. Strangers live in our cities, um, but they, say, they stay strangers, and that's what Warshow is saying about the gangster, that both the means and the end of the gangster's activity are what he calls a pure criminality. They hurt people. The gangster hurts people in order to be able to maintain his ability to hurt people. He doesn't hurt people for any other reason than to stay a gangster. Now, what Warshow doesn't say and um, what Zimmel obviously doesn't say is that the same can be said of the noir detective. Um, That is that um, I'll quote you a letter from um, Raymond Chandler. Do people know who Raymond Chandler is? Sort of. Is that that's the you're nodding sort of for the whole class? Do you accept his sort of nod for you, and you're shaking your head because not at all? Um, and is anyone like yes, Raymond Chandler, he's my god? No one is thinking that he should be. I mean, he should he shouldn't be your absolute number one god, but he sh- he should be like Poseidon or Apollo or something. Um, okay, so Raymond Chandler is the creator of the detective Philip Marlowe. Um, played often by Humphrey Bogart although by many other people Um, The Big Sleep is that at all a familiar title or Farewell My Lovely Um, or um, uh, The High Window yes, no, sort of The Long Goodbye okay so um, here's a little quiz for your sense of how 1930s and 1940s slang works what do you think The Big Sleep refers to? Alright, you got it. Death. Yeah, it's a it's a way of describing death. What's death? The big sleep. How about the long goodbye? What do you think it refers to? Yeah, good. Death. Yep. Um, how about that undiscovered country from whose born? No traveler returns. Death. Yeah, that's from Hamlet, but it becomes the title of a Star Trek movie, The Undiscovered Country, although there it's not really about death. Um, so, um, The two great named, or the two most famous uh, hard-boiled detectives in American literature are Philip Marlowe and Sam Spade. Um, Sam Spade, familiar to anyone? Um, So Sam Spade is from the Maltese Falcon by Dashiell Hammett, made into a movie um, directed by John Huston. Bogart played both of them. He played Sam Spade, he played Philip Marlowe. He actually plays them differently. They're not the same... Quite the same kind of detective, but they're similar enough that Bogart is easily the best person to play either of them. Does everyone know who Humphrey Bogart is? Okay, there's no sort of there, I hope. Okay, good. Um, You all know who JFK was, right? Okay, I just you know making sure that um, Humphrey Bogart, of course, JFK, probably Philip Marlowe, I guess not. Um, He had another microphone. Oh. Is it working? Temporary workaround Oh, temporary, oh, I see For now, we're using computer speakers and pushing it through the podium mic Yeah, so I can see that Temporary workaround All right, and <laughs> how much time do you we to have? test the audio on that, on your video? Um, sure All right Okay, <laughs> thank you All right. Yeah, I should adjust the volume on the PC if you need to um, Over here there. Okay. All right, thank you. And um, do well, um, we think it'll be fixed by Tuesday for 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 RILs? I'm not here tomorrow, but uh, I will get Sean in charge of that. Okay. We can take a look at it. If This was a vendor's condition, so hopefully they'll make it come back. We'll okay. okay. I am hoping it's a communication uh, issue. So, uh, all right, go thank, go luck. Luck. Thank, you. thank you. Thanks a lot. Okay, so we'll watch, what we'll do is we'll watch the last um, 10 minutes, and that'll be the last minutes of the class. But I'll just quickly want to say that. Um, Where Warshaw says that um, although there are real um, gangsters, the gangster that he's talking about belongs not to the real city, but what he calls the dangerous city of the imagination, which is so much more dangerous and also so much more sorrowful, um... Chandler was, um, some fan of Raymond Chandler's wrote him a letter saying, I've read every single, um, novel and story and essay that you've read, a, you've written about your character, Philip Marlowe. And, um, here's what I've discovered about him. And this person is just basically, you know, it's one of those huge, it's like he was a one-person fandom, um, he got all these facts about fellow um, about Marlowe that um, Chandler himself didn't remember. Um, so you know how like when people complain that J.K. Rowling is contradicting herself between Harry Potter 2 and Harry Potter 6 because they've read Harry Potter so much more carefully than she ever did. Um, that's what this guy was essentially doing um, about Marlowe. And Chandler agreed with some of what he said and, um, and disagreed with some of it, but at one point he says of um, his character and of uh, what he calls the private detective of hard-boiled fiction, and he says the private detective in hard-boiled fiction is a fantastic, by which he means unreal, fantasy, not, oh man, that's fantastic, but fantastic as in um, completely unrealistic, a fantastic figure of the imagination, what makes him a fantasy, what makes him a fantastic, is he's real in every way except one, that such a person would never be a private detective. And what he means by that is that a person who had the means of success would not take a job that only goes to failures. If you could do what Marlowe could do, you would do something else else. Than checking out to see whether some guy is is cheating on his wife so that the wife can sue him for divorce, which is mainly what private detectives did. Um, so that idea that the private detective in fiction, Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe, they belong, they're very hard to tell from the gangsters that they're up against. Um, they have the same skills, they live in the same ambiguous way. Um, And they, too, are figures of the stranger. And what uh, the gangster's tragic hero, what film noir gives you, is something like a depiction of the stranger. Um, That's something that I guess we'll have to talk more about as we go through Out of the Past on on Tuesday. Um, But let's just, for the last few minutes, watch this with whatever sounds we can muster (coughs) until you get a sense of what it's like with it. Um, So where are we... Let's go forward a little bit. Um, What time does someone have a phone? Um, Exactly nine minutes. Nine minutes. So let's go to around there. dialogue and you just can't hear the dialogue right do you want to keep watching this or should we do it do the last few minutes um, Tuesday when we get the sound better All right, let's, Tuesday alright so why don't I just let you guys go um, and See you Tuesday. Um, if you haven't watched out of the past due but we will start going through it um, scene by scene on Tuesday Hi. So, I'm just trying to decide if I should take this as my fifth class. Okay. Um, So I was wondering what,